0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome to another Sports Pro Podcast. Delighted to have with me once again Sports Pro's print editor Michael Long. Hi Mike. Hi Owen, great to be back so soon. Great to be back so soon. Um, lovely tee up for a small but significant announcement. Do you want to tell them or should I? I think you should, Owen, being the host. I will tell them. Um, yeah, guys, the Sports Pro podcast is going weekly. As of this edition, uh, we're going to be coming out once a week in your ear holes. Hopefully tons of great guests and chat and audio content, insight, analysis, all the stuff that you, uh, you're listening for on an ad hoc basis. We're well, now going to be getting it once a week. And maybe some additional stuff in the Sports podcast audio universe to listen out for but yeah exciting times um means we have to have a date in our diary to record mike but i'm sure we can manage that
1: yeah it's a it's a bit of a commitment i think but uh, I'm, i think we can manage it at home. i think we can
0: yeah yeah a few minutes of chat once a week about the business of sport it's kind of what we're paid for um but yes lots of goings on in the few days since we uh since we last sat down to record for one thing i can hear you a bit better
1: that's um, good yeah we've yeah. Uh, we've taken it up a notch on the uh audio quality front Thanks,
0: let's hope Steve. so let's let's not let's not count our chickens but sure. uh, let's hope that some of the issues that some people were having with the last uh the last edition have been resolved but the other stuff has involved uh you know people who work slightly more consequentially in the in the sports industry tons of coverage of course on sportspromedia.com of happenings like uh, the ongoing Farago with uh, USA Gymnastics um, the failure of or the withdrawal of Shahid Khan's bid to buy Wembley Stadium lots of news lots of um, reaction to that and um, yeah some follow-ups on some of the things that we were discussing but a few days ago Zone going big In boxing going even bigger in boxing on the rampage on the rampage signing a 365 million dollar five-year 11 fight deal with canelo alvarez um maybe the biggest maybe the biggest boxing star in the americas right now um but certainly way up there in global terms and yeah an hbo escapee so that's that's another interesting dynamic
1: did anyone see this particular signing coming well, he we was he was on the market for sure. Yeah, yeah. But we we didn't speak about it last time. But I know uh, the guys at the Zone, obviously, uh, talking up their financial commitment in this joint venture with Matchroom, as you know, it's not just a straight rights play. It is helping Matchroom sign some of the biggest you know biggest names in boxing to their their fight cards and to to deals of this kind. I know there were reports that Eddie Hearn, uh, Matchroom's uh, boxing chief, was. Uh, kind of attempting to sign Gennady Golovkin, who is obviously a huge, huge star. But um, I, I certainly didn't see this one coming. Did You had your finger on the pulse, then, Owen. Is that what you're saying? You, you you knew this was coming.
0: I didn't know that this specifically was coming. What I did know was that uh, Canelo was with HBO mm. for a number of years, but he was one of the fighters coming to the end of uh, the end of his contract, which made the timing of HBO's decision to... Mm. Uh, drop out of the market that bit easier
1: this this deal is is uh obviously heavily built around canelo himself but it's it's part of a broader deal with golden boy is that right
0: so it's certainly being pitched as one uh around canelo and and it's being described as the richest athlete contract in sports history Mm. which is quite some billing Uh, but deal also dictates that golden boy will put on 10 high caliber fight nights per year that will stream on DAZN from 2019 so yeah so they they will be involved in it it's obviously bringing a bit more of the kind of fight night business into into DAZN's stable um and just kind of filling out that programming a bit more so yeah so that's that's zone. that's one new challenger speaking of another one that we discussed at some length last time uh 11 sports have backed down from their uh, their, their unilateral commitment to ending the 3pm UK soccer blackout. Quite interesting how quickly this this all mm. turned around. Uh, Eleven are, are very much still feel that they were in the right, and they are, you know, still saying mm. that so it's, why... it's it's something they're committed to in the long term, and that it's an outdated rule yeah. that uh, that that plays into the hands of pirates. I think he, I think. Yeah, the, the statement they've come out with, which is quite provocative, is it is irresponsible to leave the market in the hands of criminals. So there you go. Um, Strongly wording. Can... Mm.
1: Yeah, uh, no. Why, so why has this, you know, why has this climb down come about? Why have they, why have they backed down from, from, uh, you know, showing games during the blackout? Is it pressure from rights holders?
0: I think it's pressure from the Premier League who issued their own. A uh, strongly worded statement in response to this RE, the closed period and comments made by Eleven Sports. Along with other English football stakeholders, the Premier League continues to support the closed period to encourage attendances and participation through the football pyramid. The amount of football broadcast live in the UK must be balanced against the thousands of amateur teams that play across England on Saturday afternoons and the 92 professional clubs that work hard to fill their stadiums on match days. We reject, this is quite pointed, we reject Eleven's claim, Ari, it is irresponsible to leave the market in the hands of criminals, as we operate a hugely successful anti-piracy program that includes a game-changing high court order that blocks thousands of illegal streams. So there you go. So they don't agree. Uh, (laughs) I think fundamentally, it's, uh, it's what we were talking about last time. One... One broadcaster coming in and just deciding they're not going to play ball on this was probably not going to be the long term solution. I think it's, I don't know that the debate is settled. What is interesting is that also coming out this week, um, a report in the Times that Tuesday nights in the EFL are seeing a slight downturn in attendances, um, perhaps as a result, um, but certainly uh, coinciding with the decision to open up the iFollow platform that's the EFL's own OTT streaming service uh, to all games played on Tuesday nights we need to make sure that we're getting correlation and causation right in that case but that would be a test case for uh, the significance of the 3pm blackout um, in the longer term and you know what impact it might have if the Premier League suddenly became available uh, at 3pm on Saturdays or La Liga or anything else you know there are Lots of other things to consider through the whole pyramid. And I think it will it will take some time and it will take some discussion to to work out what the best way of, of, of addressing all of that is going to be. Speaking of which, uh, Sports Pro's very own Sam Karp uh, has a, a piece on the site that's looking specifically at the impact of iFollow on clubs um, and the broadcast landscape so far this season. So, yeah, the impact of those Tuesday and Wednesday night games, just catching a correction from what I said earlier, um, and you know, what what effect that's going to have on attendances, uh, what effect that's going to have on clubs revenues, the the value of broadcast rights. There's there's a hell of a lot that goes into it, Mm. but I think it will emerge over Mm. more than than a few days. Um, Also getting people talking the the other big deal of the week here in the UK anyway, Sky Sports swooping in to take the NBA rights off of BT Sport in the UK. What's being described as it as it probably should be, in uh, in the NBA's terms, as a broadcast and digital deal, um, it will be very interesting to see how all of that unfolds, given what the NBA is up to, and we will we will explore that in, in a little bit more length, um, a bit later on. But you know what they're doing with microtransactions and and, and viewer access and technology and everything else, um, how that breaks down for the UK viewer. Will be something to watch but that announcement of course time to coincide with the start of a new NBA season um, and we are going to be talking about basketball through uh, the rest of this podcast um, Mike we have your piece exploring okay. some of the themes that will shape the course of this new uh, basketball campaign in the US and Canada and around the world as, as far as most viewers are concerned and um, yeah also uh, we have an interview that we'll we'll be turning to later with NBA uh, chief operating officer and deputy commissioner Mark Tatum, uh, who I spoke to in China just a couple of weeks ago. Sadly, though, we've got to reflect on some other news coming from the world of basketball this week. Uh, just before that tip-off, we had the news that Paul Allen, the uh, co-founder of Microsoft, who has who sold his stake and. Went off to a whole world of adventures, including uh, discovering World War II, you know, Japanese shipwrecks and and all sorts. Um, a very rich and very life that he um, he explored uh, after leaving the world of software. But he passed away at the age of 65 uh, from complications relating to uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was the owner of the NFL Seattle Seahawks, who were in who were playing at Wembley Stadium for the first of this year's Uh, NFL London series games and he was also the owner of the NBA's Portland Trailblazers um there's been quite a quite an outpouring of affection in that kind of Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. uh area of the U.S. and and throughout kind of the U.S. sports media and so on you know quite a popular owner yeah he made a major commitment to um to to the U.S. sports business
1: yeah hugely influential and highly regarded figure instrumental in in keeping the seahawks in in uh in seattle many years ago when there was some talk of them moving south to la won championships with with both the seahawks and and the trailblazers um so yeah a, a huge loss
0: indeed um and sadly
1: that that came
0: that came on the back of of, of another really uh, tragic loss the um the, the Secretary General of uh, World Basketball Governing Body Fever, uh, Patrick Bauman, who died suddenly of a heart attack in Buenos Aires during the Youth Olympic Games. Um, this was a, a real shock. And, and, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about the, the sporting dimension of it. But, you know, the, the fundamental thing is that this is a, um, a young father of, of two children. Um, and our thoughts go out to, to his family and to his, uh, to his friends as well. He's been described as a, as a rising star in the uh, in the in, in sports administration, but certainly he was someone who
1: yeah a, um, as a future IOC president and obviously hugely influential and, and like Adam yeah highly regarded in, in Olympic circles as well
0: yeah and I, the IOC member for Switzerland, uh, president of GAIF, which was uh, an organisation that he did an awful lot to, to kind of salvage after uh, after a protracted row with the IOC back in its uh, back in its sport accord guys um, uh, chair of the coordination committee for LA 2028 um, he was thought of as someone who kind of had a, an eye on the future as far as the Olympic movement was concerned um, you know within uh, within Bieber circles he had uh, he'd been a, a, a strong advocate for the new 3x3 three three format um, i think it's has a, a lot of potential, but it was something that he really saw as, you know, being a way of reaching other basketball communities, um, you know, a more accessible form of the game, obviously not requiring as many players, which, which made it something that smaller nations could have an impact on. You know, he was a great believer in the in the potential of international sport to reach uh, new communities and the potential of national team sport to reach new communities. Um, talked a lot about, you know, the impact that, uh, that Spain's... Uh, achievements on the global stage has had for basketball in Spain, um, had a lot of optimism for what, you know, a successful Chinese national team could do for basketball in China, was uh, very excited, of course, about the the FIBA World Cup happening in China next year. And yeah, I think he was someone whose enthusiasm for his sport, his enthusiasm for the power of sport was um, was undeniable you know, wasn't always on the right side of every issue, but certainly always a very thoughtful contributor. Um, and, you know, something that a lot of people have come out and said in the, in the aftermath, notably reporters in Olympic circles, um, you know, our young friends from inside the games and, and, uh, and beyond have echoed was that he was always an extremely courteous guy at these kind of events, always had time for a word, time for, you know, an interview. Um, unfortunately, we actually had an interview from Xian uh, that we were planning on running in this podcast and on the on the sports pro site, and of course, uh, we've we've chosen uh, not to do that in the in the wake of uh, in the wake of what's happened, um, but for sure, somebody who's um whose loss will be felt, I think, in in basketball circles uh, and in the Olympic movement. Um, right, We are going to leave it there for for part one. Uh, we will come back to the subject of the NBA. Uh, after this. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Um, As we mentioned a little bit earlier on, we're going to be spending our time talking basketball with a new NBA season on the horizon. A little bit later we're going to be hearing from the NBA Deputy Commissioner and COO Mark Tatum, uh, who I spoke to at the FIBA World Basketball Summit in Xi'an a little bit earlier this month. But before that, Mike, let's let's you and I have a quick discussion about the NBA, about where things stand, about innovation, you know, traveling that people always complain about every season. What are they going to do about that? Nothing, obviously. All NBA. The, good stuff.
1: the nBA is uh, it's all it's all good all, all good news isn't it it's all it's all positive stuff around the nBA these days
0: yeah and even even the traveling if it gets you some cool looking some cool looking layups and slam dunks then you know
1: exactly who cares
0: yeah um but yeah as you mentioned it, it is all good it's probably the most highly regarded of the major sports leagues around the world for various reasons one it is a, a league with a very sure sense of its own identity when it comes to off-court matters it's always had that asset of kind of you know very visible engaging spokespeople um it's always had entertaining play it's kind of in that rare position of uh representing a global sport with the undisputably yeah. undisputably indisputably best players in the world uh, yeah so, you know, so, but 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 in recent years it's it's kind of carved a niche for itself as um perhaps the most forward-thinking league in the world is that fair
1: i think that's fair i think the the kind of the style and and uh, as you say the kind of swagger i suppose is it's an often uh it's a word often used around the nba but on the court translates into its uh front office and its leadership off the court as well obviously david stern um, and now Adam Silver is a commissioner whose whose contract was extended as early this year for another 5 years um you know hugely uh, respected and influential and and I suppose innovative and outspoken uh, leader they they just exude this kind of sense of confidence uh, in everything they do as you say they're sure of their own identity they know where they where they need to be uh, both digitally and in terms of you know, expanding their brand and staging games in overseas markets. They're happy to experiment with, with technologies, whether it's virtual reality. You know, they launched the first esports league by any uh, among kind of US major leagues earlier this year. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of this, uh, this picture of, of unity and, and vibrancy. Obviously, labor peace is um, assured for another few years. Franchise valuations on the rise as are TV ratings and, and merchandise sales, attendances. Um, subscriptions to their streaming service, League Pass. By any metric, you know, any way you look at it, I think um, the NBA is kind of just just really gathering momentum. And yeah, I think just to add to that, uh, you know, it's it's a league that is always on the move. It's a first mover, early adopter. And one man who always seems to be on the move um, is LeBron James. And he is obviously, you may have heard, one of the biggest stars in sports, certainly basketball, um, has been in pretty much every NBA Finals ever. Is moved from Cleveland to LA to pursue a career in Hollywood. I mean, play for the um, Lakers. Mm. Um, you know, obviously that brings a you know another mm. you know major league star to the to the Western Conference. Uh, opens up the East to some of those uh, teams and you know franchises that perhaps couldn't really consider ever winning the, or even getting to the finals with, with LeBron and, and the Cavs there. And obviously off the court, you know, who knows what, what, what impact James will have on the court for the Lakers. Obviously they're, um, they've built a young team around him um, or bought him into a young team. But certainly off the, off the court, he's already had a hugely dramatic effect on the Lakers' uh, business. You know, ticket prices for uh, for their home games this season on the secondary market are up uh, pretty unbelievable, 420 percent. You know, tickets to their home opener changing hands for a little under a thousand dollars. You know, they're selling more merchandise. The TV ratings for some of their preseason games have been kind of sky high, um, and then the kind of um, halo effect of that, I suppose, is that some of these businesses around LA Live, which is where the Staples Center, home to the Lakers and also the Clippers is based uh, some of these businesses are seeing an upturn in their revenues as well off the back of this kind of uh, LeBron effect.
0: Amazing isn't it what signing the third male lead in Amy Schumer's train wreck will uh, will do yeah. for your numbers mm-hmm. um
1: yeah Just that's one space jam two drops
0: Well, wow. it's gonna be gonna be epic it's gonna be big. that's one of the the key storylines that you identified for the league this year what what are some of the other things that are, are going to define the NBA in 2018-19?
1: Yeah so uh, one of the big deals that, uh, that the league has signed uh, for this season was with MGM Resorts International obviously after the Supreme Court ruling earlier this year that lifted a federal ban on on sports gambling, um, you know the NBA was quick to to sign this deal, uh, valued at around twenty five million dollars, um, with the with the renowned uh, Las Vegas based uh, casino operator. Um, first kind of U.S. Major League to do so, or to sign a, a, a you know a sponsorship deal of this kind. So we can see uh, you know, expect to see more. More gaming and, and gambling and betting, kind of discussion around the league and more promotions um, around the league, more integrations into their their broadcast and, and digital offerings, and obviously this is a kind of fast moving, or uh, well fast moving if you look at it from one perspective, pro- probably slow moving if you look at it for, from from uh, from Adam Silver's perspective. But there's discussions ongoing about um, you know what um, kind of framework um, is is kind of. Implemented off the back of the the ruling earlier this year, I think it was in May. NBA um, is obviously going state by state at the moment, um, speaking to around two dozen states that are interested or have uh, plans or agreed kind of bills to to legalize betting. Obviously, forced to to negotiate by, on a state by state basis rather than nation, sh- you know, with the with the federal government. Given that the fed, uh, the, the ruling was that um, states decide whether they. They legalised betting. Yeah, sending it back
0: to, sorry, sending it back to state governments.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. And so, you know, one of, uh, obviously, Silva's kind of long leg calls for for legalised sports betting, but uh, he's keen to see the introduction of this um, integrity fee, uh, whatever form that takes, but essentially a provision whereby league will capture kind of, whether it's 1% or a fraction of a percent uh, cut of kind of every place uh, bet placed on their games. So, yeah, I think this is a, uh, so obviously it's a discussion that is um, continuing what impact it will have on the league uh, this year will kind of remains to be seen, really. I know the NBA has uh, announced kind of a, some of these kind of uh, free to play contests along with MGM. I, I suppose it's almost fantasy style, style play, but, uh, you know, with cash prizes. But in terms of how it all factors into their broadcasts and, and you know, how advertising is kind of accepted throughout the league and, and promoted, then, yeah, that all, it all is, um, remains to be seen.
0: I think for everyone working in the U.S. sports betting market, the burgeoning U.S. sports betting market, it's going to be a case of, of kind of navigating this very complex uh, emerging legal framework. Uh, as you you know, as you alluded to, it's it's kind of it's state by state. What that means at a federal level, I don't know. What that means for stuff like advertising, I don't know. I think it certainly is going to make sense to build on the fantasy gaming framework as far as uh, the actual betting side of thing goes, and and certainly uh, so. There's you know, it's going to be applying what works in the U.S. with what knowledge and and kind of expertise is uh, is available elsewhere. The NBA obviously has worked for a few years with Sport Radar on the uh, exploration and commercialization of their data, but I think probably always with this end game of sports betting being liberalized, if not completely legalized in the US, uh, in mind. What else can we expect to see on the the commercial and financial side of things in the NBA? I mean, there's been some talk about the future of, uh, of one or two different franchises.
1: Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, every off season is accompanied by a fair amount of uh, speculation over whether the league, in its current prosperous, I suppose, um, financial position, will will look to expand. Whether whether individual franchise owners will look to re- relocate um, in search of uh, more attractive markets, um, and certainly in the in the West this uh, this summer, Steve Ballmer, the um, Former Microsoft uh, chief executive and uh, L.A. Clippers owner has kind of reaffirmed his, his um, intention to at some point in the near future to leave Staples Center, where they are obviously um, playing, I suppose, second fiddle to, to, to the Lakers and obviously the L.A. Kings uh, NHL team as well. So they, they're, they're in talks or, you know, they, their hope or Bolmer's hope is to, to relocate uh, potentially to a new arena uh, in Inglewood, uh, where the um, I think it's the L.A. Stadium um, is currently under construction. It's an NFL venue. Uh, but part of a kind of broader, you know, vast, uh, far-reaching kind of sports and entertainment complex. So whether that whether that comes to fruition or not, who knows? Uh, the Clippers' lease at Staples Centre expires in 2022. Obviously, these things take time. Um, I think the Clippers um, know that having their own arena will, you know, ultimately um, give rise to... Dramatically increased uh, commercial revenue, which is the obviously obviously the big appeal. But they've seen what uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have uh, been reporting in terms of their move, again, within the same market from the Bradley Centre to FISERV Forum this year. You know, huge spikes in sponsorship and ticket revenue. They've um, sold a team record of kind of 10,000 season tickets for their first season uh, at FISERV Forum. And another one, which invariably, another city which invariably crops up in these discussions every year, uh, and it has done for the past decade since uh, since the Supersonics kind of upsticks and, and left for Oklahoma City in 2008, is Seattle. A lot of talk there, given that Oakview Group is funding a uh, renovation of Key Arena, the Supersonics' former home, and for all intents and purposes, look like they, you know, that development, that project will attract an NHL franchise. Um, you know, could the NBA soon follow suit? Seattle staged um, a preseason game this year, this summer, sold out. Uh, a lot of fans, kind of keen to show their the passion for the for basketball still exists in the city. But um, again, it could be that the prospect of an NBA team coming into that venue and, and essentially playing second fiddle to, to perhaps an NHL team and the, um, various other kind of events and music concerts and things that go on there could perhaps be a deal breaker for the NBA. In any case, the reports in the US suggest that you know, the NBA wouldn't look to go to Seattle until its current um, national TV deals expire in 2025. Um so again that that remains to be seen. But an interestingly another um city plans to throw its hat into the ring. A group in uh, Montreal, um Quebec based group of business people uh looking to push for an expansion franchise as and when the league does look to expand, as many believe it will. And it, and you read around, I mean there's there's a number of different cities, San Diego, Mexico City. Uh, expressing an interest in, in bringing an NBA franchise to their cities. Mm. I
0: mean, be beyond that kind of picture, there's, there's a lot of stability that the NBA is trading off at the moment. You mentioned that the the national TV rights deals run until 2025, which is, um, from a European perspective, it's quite hard to get your head around that kind of scale of and, and length of commitment. Also, the CBA with the players runs until 2023. The players have been making the most of that. They've created a new commercial mm. entity, through the through the union
1: yeah not not only that they've been you know you've got these kind of mid-ranking uh run-of-the-mill players i suppose signing signing kind of eye-watering contracts off the bat mm. of um obviously more uh, a lot more money in the pot for that kind of stuff so they're yeah. uh, kind of grabbing those opportunities with both hands but yeah you're right as you said the MB uh nba players association uh uh, I think last year took back their licensing rights from the league and uh, created a, a dedicated kind of marketing unit that now represents every player or the you know the licensing rights to every uh I think 450 yes um kind of uh on a, on a group basis and as we've seen recently that's kind of already bearing fruit in that they've um they've signed a deal I think along with the so Major League Baseball. I've also signed a deal with AB InBev, the the parent company of Budweiser, who will now use NBA player names and likenesses in their in their commercials for the first time in decades. And on a, on a similar similar note, you know, you see the players, LeBron, as we've spoken about um, his interests in in Hollywood and in, in TV and film. He's he's certainly not the only one. Um, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, two kind of stars of the Golden State Warriors, also making moves in the media space. Just this, yeah, this, the, this the
0: sense. The NBA's NBA kind of, um, or NBA players have kind of pioneered that athlete mm-hmm. entrepreneur thing. I mean, obviously, you know, decades yeah. ago through through Michael Jordan um, and et cetera. But, um, yeah. yeah, so Kevin Durant involved in, you know, through his, his media company,
1: 35 Media.
0: Yeah, and Steph Curry also heavily involved. With the relaunch of Palm. Remember Palm? Remember PDAs? We were probably a little bit, uh, we were probably a little bit young to use them ourselves, but you know, the kind of forerunner to smartphones, electronic Steph? organizer stuff. Uh,
1: okay. So it's, uh, um, uh, okay. so
0: Palm are back and they are using Steph Curry to kind of front this new distraction free smartphone. The idea is it's like a companion to your smartphone, but it doesn't have all the video and and web browsing doodads on it, but it will get you all the messages that you might need while you're, I don't know, off for dinner or something, and and not wanting to be constantly distracted. It's a big, mm. big. Uh, well, don't, don't the kids know. want the doodads? They want the distraction. The kids do, but the the market they're targeting this at is the um, uh. the, the aspirational executive, um, and the you know, smartphone addiction is a thing. Um, sure, sure. Uh, and it's something that lots of people who want to be productive are, are 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 conscious of how 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 much is going to change Steph Curry's life or or anyone else's I don't know but it's an interesting thing that he has been he he owns equity in the company that's kind of revived it's not it's not the same palm as before uh, but he owns equity in the company that's revived palm and this is the product that they've come up with
1: you just wonder how these these NBA stars have any time to play basketball these days
0: Lots you know, of games you, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. So many games, a lot of travel, but still find time to produce uh T V shows in, in barber shops and um, you know, help their mates launch official YouTube channels and all that kind of stuff. It's um it's impressive. It's a work you know, a work ethic that I'm not sure every athlete shares.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't far be it from me to impugn the work ethic of, of anyone, frankly. But um as we've just said, there are a lot of NBA games and you're not going to want to watch every one of them necessarily, Mm. but, and you might not even want to watch all of one of them, but, uh, you might want to watch, you know, the last 10 minutes and that's what the NBA has stepped in to address this season as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, microtransactions, it's, uh, all the rage now. And the NBA, once again, being a, it's, uh, you know, being a first mover, is, um, has been trialling this for a while along with its uh, partner, Turner Sports. You know, At a time when, as you say, people don't want to necessarily watch whole games, uh, consumption habits are changing. People want to watch things wherever, whenever, and however they want to. Uh, and the NBA is aware of that. So it's going to try and monetize that. By allowing viewers to pay, is it $1.99 for the last quarter of a game? It is. Through its uh, League Pass service and through Beach Report Live, which is Turner's direct-to-consumer offering, uh, from this season. Um, Or, as I understand it, they're going to offer you the opportunity to buy or access 10 minutes of uh, real-time streams at any point in the game, not just the last quarter. Yeah, which seems odd because nobody. I think
0: think that's a rollout thing. But, you know, you might be uh, you might be waiting for a bus or at the airport or you Mm. might have you might have left your your new device at home and you're just at the complete mercy of mobile distraction. And um, you just you just find yourself watching 10 minutes of NBA. But I think I think that's to come that uh, the flexibility element of it is to come. But the. So they're they're beginning with the with the fourth quarter, I guess, because it's probably a bit easier to execute when you know when um, when something like that's going to come around. But uh, yeah. it certainly that that I think is the that's going to have the the broadest implications for the rest of the sports industry. If they can pull that off, you could imagine lots of other sports uh, looking at the technology, looking at the the kind of um, the yeah. content of uh, of future rights contracts and what they can carve out. So I think it will be very interesting to see, you know, how that progresses, how popular it is, whether it's worthwhile. It's something that people have been have been calling out for. It's something that Adam Silver has uh, has discussed in the past. Hey, it ties in quite nicely with being able to bet on games as well. So you know, all of that coming together. Uh, right. I think people have heard enough from us on on the NBA. So let's hear from someone who uh, who works at slightly closer quarters, uh, Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner and chief operating officer, uh, and currently the custodian, the uh, caretaker commissioner of the WNBA, after Lisa Borders left for a job with the Time's Up movement. So Mark covers a number of these things. And of course, he covers the league's international activities, beginning with their efforts in China. And that's where we pick up.
2: China's our most important market outside the United States. 300 million people play the game of basketball here in China. Um, We have a, uh, you know, a a program, um, a grassroots program on the junior NBA, uh, which is a partnership with the Ministry of Education, which this year we'll see junior NBA programs taught in 4,000 schools, 31 different provinces, reaching 4 million kids in the Chinese school system. We have three NBA academies here in China and we have terrific partners. We have 17 marketing partners around these upcoming NBA China games. Uh, We also have partners in CCTV that's been a TV uh, broadcast partner of ours for over 30 years. Best TV has been a partner of ours for over 20 years and our terrific digital partnership with Tencent. So it's our most important market outside the United States.
0: And beyond that scale, How is China different from other markets where the NBA or other leagues or rights holders might operate?
2: I would say one of the things that's actually uh, very different is um, our place here in sport. We're the number one sport here in China. Um, You know, in the US we have uh, NFL, American football, um, but here in China, we are the number one sport. So to me, I'd say that that's one of the big differences that given the scale of China to be the number one sport, it just really amplifies the passion that people have for this game here. How are your international activities evolving? Oh, well, we we are doing a ton internationally. One is we're trying to get to our fans um, in many different ways. Digital is one critical way. Um, the example with our partnership with Tencent, where um, they broadcast over and distribute over 400 games for free for fans. Um, they also brought, uh, distribute uh, close to 1,300 all-NBA games through the League Pass platform. We have similar kind of relationships with Rakuten in, in Japan, um, with uh, Kwese Media and Econet in Africa, and just all other parts of the world. The other thing that we're doing internationally is developing elite talent. So I mentioned the three academies here in China, um, but we now have one academy in Australia, one in Africa, um, one in Mexico, um, and one in India. So we have a total of seven different academies around the world to develop that next generation of elite basketball talent. Mm.
0: And the other thing that you're doing here in a preseason capacity, but obviously in London and Mexico City uh, during the regular season is playing games. That's right. How do you identify those opportunities? What are you looking for? um what makes it worthwhile basically to disrupt you know the very busy (laughs) calendars that these teams have to to bring them to other markets
2: yeah the global games has been a a very important part of our plan one it brings the live game experience into these markets that are passionate about basketball and we look at these markets and we look for uh, do they have the right facilities do they have um, what level of affinity do they have for the game Um, And what are the opportunities to continue to grow the game in either a country or in a region? So uh, this summer, we just played our third, I was in Africa in South Africa, and right outside Johannesburg and Pretoria, where we played our third Africa game. Um, And it was just a tremendous uh, 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 spectacle and a tremendous game. Here, this is our 25th and 26th games in China. As you mentioned, we'll play two regular season games in Mexico City. Uh, this December, and then in January, uh, we'll play the regular season game in London. And those games serve as almost all-star games for the regions, and they attract different marketing partners. It allows us to engage with consumers and fans through NBA Cares events in the community. I mean, it allows our marketing partners to activate all season long, leading up to those, those games and those activities. So it's just a terrific way for us to engage with, with our fans.
0: You've, you've talked a bit about different ways of engaging with people digitally. Something that you're doing that's quite radical this year is, is the new microtransactions mm-hmm. uh, project, the new offer that you're making to fans to, mm-hmm. to play, sorry, to watch the last quarter of a game or, yes. or earlier periods of games uh, as, as the season progresses. Um
2: what are your expectations for that in, in its first full year? Yeah, we've been experimenting over the last couple of years with our digital product and you know we started it used to be in order to get those games you had to buy the season long pass. And then we said, well, maybe there's a consumer out there that just wants to follow their team or follow their player or just buy a game. And and so these microtransactions is it's really us segmenting the fan and segmenting um, their their viewing habits and their potential purchasing habits and recognizing that um, you, may, uh, you may be doing something um, and you may not have been, you're watching a game, but you hear that uh, LeBron James is having an incredible game and it might be a historic moment. And those historic moments are happening every night. So you get an alert and all of a sudden, instead of having to buy the season or buy the whole game, you can say, I wanna buy this fourth quarter. Or, um, again, people wanna just maybe even get 10 minutes of action, and so we're now taking it from a very consumer-focused mindset to say, what does the consumer, what does the fan, how did they want to purchase and engage with the product? And then we're trying to um, uh, deliver a product that is meeting their needs.
0: What have the technical and contractual challenges been? in putting that product together?
2: Yeah, look, I, th- I think, you know, there are, uh, I'm not the, the technician, um, but there are technical issues with that in terms of being able to deliver a stream, you know, mid-game um, to the right people, taking the, per- taking the actual payment of mm-hmm. that. Um, and so those are things that we've had to work through, but we're at that point now uh, with our partners, you know, both uh, locally in the U.S. and internationally to be able to offer that product up to fans. And what does it say
0: um, about the direction that your content strategy is going and Where does it sit in that strategy?
2: Yeah, what I would say is our content strategy is making sure that um, it's about accessibility and making sure that wherever our fans are, they're able to get our product in a easy-to-digest, easy-to-consume format. And so that is, I think, the future. It's, it's gotta be customized, it's gotta be easy, and it's gotta be available. And I think that's our strategy going forward, and that's what fans are gonna be demanding from rights holders, from sports properties going forward. Is it about creating as many touch points
0: as as possible? I mean, you have things that you operate like, you know, your AR um, products, you've got NBA 2K League and and so on and so on. I mean, how do you stay on top of that? How do you keep prioritizing uh, what you're gonna put resources into?
2: Yeah, we listen to the fan. And we know that as they as they start moving into new spaces, that we have to be right there with them. So as they start adapting new platforms like virtual reality, like augmented reality, we say as a league and as a sport, we need to be there. So we started streaming our games a game a week in virtual reality for that fan that loves the virtual reality experience. Um, augmented reality, we're doing experiments in terms of games, we're working with and have a partnership with Magic League, one of the um, the leaders in this augmented uh, reality space, um, to again, provide content there. Uh, this NBA 2K League, we saw enormous demand for esports, and, um and the NBA 2K game is one of the most popular games in the world, one of the most popular video games, so we decided then that we would create this league to take advantage of how fans were consuming our game, and um, and that's been tremendously successful, putting it out on the Amazon Twitch platform, which is where a lot of these gamers and esports fans are. So we listen to the fans, and as we get that feedback, uh, we decide we need to deliver the game wherever they are. Now another
0: um, avenue that you're able to reach fans now is through betting, obviously after the, I'm gonna say it, PAPSA
1: ruling, yes. SCOTUS ruling on PAPSA on <laughs> exactly. earlier this
0: year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you've been preparing for that, you've taken kind of quite a, a verbal lead in, on that and, on, in terms of um, you know the need for, for federal coordination of, of these different rules and so on. Yes. Um, but where does, where does that now sit in, in your, wider, yeah. your wider corporate strategy?
2: Yeah, look, I think that um, sports betting, it's happening today. And what we have advocated for is the legalization of it in the United States, because we feel like it's already happening, but what would be better, it's happening underground. And what would have been better is if it became legal and it was regulated. Obviously, our preference would have been on a uh, fed- federal regulations so that we don't have to deal with state-by-state regulations. Now, where we are today is at different states. Are actually looking at, and some have enact, enacted um, laws and regulations on specific sports betting. Um, so that, but so so we're we're dealing with the hand that was dealt to us. Um, that being said, we are in discussions and engaging directly with those state governments and the local governments. Um, we have to ensure that the integrity of the game is protected first and foremost. Um, and I do think that we're having productive conversations with the state governments in those different areas. Um, but clearly our preference would be that there would be um, some federal regulations there and there's lately been some indications from, uh, the, from the, the, the federal government that, there, that they may look into that.
0: Is it fair to say that some of the moves you've made in the last few years, whether it's uh, whether it's the in play joining streams in play that we've talked about, whether it's the commercialization of your data, have been made with in anticipation of that ruling coming uh, coming out this year?
2: well, I, I would say things like in play we we recognize that there is um, an opportunity to engage fans more, to give them um, uh, the kind of the gamification, if you will, of Uh, of our games, fantasy, for example, has been a big uh, opportunity and a big deal and a big driver of why people um, engage, not just in basketball, but but in all sports. And so um, that's where our mindset comes from, is how do you get more fans engaged? And by giving them more reasons to do that in the middle of the game, they tend to watch more, they tend to follow more. Um, And so that was the impetus for those kinds of programs.
0: The NBA obviously has developed through stuff like this. It's developed a reputation for being an innovator. I mean, is that is that just something that's come out of the the strategies you've needed to develop in order to stay, uh, you know, keep in touch with your fans, et cetera, or is that something you've self-consciously kind of taken on that mantle that you're going to be <laughs> a forward-facing league and and that
2: you know that strengthens the NBA brand in and yes. of itself? I think there's a recognition inside the NBA, and there always has been that. Uh, You can't stand still. That you have to continue to improve your product, improve your approach, Um, and I think that's what drives us. But I will tell you what helps us a lot is that our fans. Our fans are younger, they're tech savvy, they're digital, they're they're these millennials, and, and our players are too. And a lot of times, the reason that we innovate or the things that we do are driven by things that we hear from our players and our fans. We, we hear about the latest technologies, the latest platforms from them because they're of that demographic, they're actual consumers of new forms, new distribution platforms, new digital and social platforms, and they come back to us and they say, hey, there's this new platform called Twitter <laughs> or Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram um, or we, WeChat or Weibo and you guys need, this is how I'm consuming my content. I need, I, I wanna get my NBA content here. And so um, we have been fortunate that our fans and our players are of that demographic and they feed that into us. And so that allows us to stay ahead of the curve in, in those different areas.
0: And you've got a busy few days here in China, Shanghai and Shenzhen. Yes. Um, and then you hit the road again in the U.S. because it's a you know a new NBA season. What are you hoping to see over the next nine months or so?
2: Well, I'm I'm thrilled about this season. There are so many great storylines. LeBron James in L.A. now, um, you know uh, the the emergence of um, the Philadelphia 76ers who are here in China. The uh, the Boston Celtics, they have two of their stars returning in Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. Um, Kawhi Leonard going from San Antonio to Toronto, um, the addition of uh, Carmelo Anthony to the Houston Rockets. So they're so you know, the Golden State Warriors are the Golden State Warriors. They added another All Star in DeMarcus Cousins. So it's it's just going to be an exciting year of basketball, and I think it is more wide open this year than it ever has been in terms of who's going to emerge in the East and in the West, and so I'm I'm looking forward to uh getting and, and these guys have already I've already watched several preseason games I was in Vancouver um for Raptors and Blazers game on Saturday um and to to see Kawhi Leonard in the, his first game as a Raptor uh, so it's an exciting season that's what I'm looking forward to this year it's just the competition on the court great thanks very much Mark all right thank you all Enjoying this SportsPro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital and events. Head to sportspromedia.com
0: for the latest features, news and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else.
2: Get inside the industry with sports pro.
0: Right, thank you to Mark Tatum for taking the time to speak with us. Mike,
1: any thoughts? Well, I think uh as Tatum rightly said, I think the future is in easy to digest, easy to consume content, being on the right platforms at the right time, uh, integrate your content with social, all of that stuff,
0: hugely important. Yeah. Some some thoughts there for the Sports Bro Podcast in its uh its expansion. Also interesting, the the kind of um the tie-up between uh, between audience and stance on some of these things the idea that the league's adoption of some of these technological and consumption trends is in keeping with the fact that it has a slightly younger audience Um has a slightly more kind of mobile active audience or that's um, yeah that's a dimension that perhaps gets gets overlooked in, in quite a, a few of these discussions not just uh, around technology but around culture and, and so on but anyway that is enough for another sports pro podcast. Thank you again to Mark Tatum. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Mike. No, thank you, Owen. We will be back after Mike has been to the Sportel mm, uh, have to media. pack my
1: bag for uh, for Monaco.
0: Wonderful. Um so we'll have some reflections from there and from the rest of the uh, the goings on in the sports industry uh, next week. Next week that seems very, very soon. Um, but yeah thank you all for your time and speak to you then. Bye bye.